Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right, everybody. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest today. It's Kayla. She's the founder and creator of AWPT. This is a company that provides some of the best education in the industry for coaches and personal trainers who work with female clients. Kayla started as a physiotherapist in the space, and now she's moved more into the educational realm. I'm excited for her to share some tidbits about women's training, programming, you know, some of the differences between men and women's training. And without further ado, here's the podcast. Super excited to have you on, Kayla. I've taken some of your courses and um, I've learned a lot from you. Uh, I wanted to have you on the podcast so that you could give us a little bit of information. I think most specifically on uh, women's health and training. The first thing that I wanted to do was kind of allow you to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on how you got into um, the line of work that you're in now and maybe a little bit more specifically what that is. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, It's always like a little bit of a long-winded story where it's like how I got exactly um, where I am now. But um, basically, I am a physiotherapist by trade, but I don't actually practice anymore. I I work more in the education side of things, um, more to do with women's training now. I, when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And uh, I just knew I was really passionate about one, I was, I was kind of interested in business, but two, I was really passionate about health and fitness and exercise. Um, so I took a year off after school. I did like a business TAFE course, um, which I didn't really find very riveting. So I ended up going to uni for exercise and sports science. And from there, I always thought I wanted to go the nutrition route. Um, But a couple of years in, I was more sort of pushed towards doing physiotherapy. And so, you know, even when I did finish my three-year undergrad, I really wasn't sure that I actually wanted to do physio. But I applied anyway, and um, I got into the master's degree. So I just started it, was just going to see how it went. Um, and I really loved it and I enjoyed it. So I went sort of down that route. While I was still studying at uni, I did my personal training certificate um, and I worked as a personal trainer while, while I was going through my exercise and sports science degree and my physiotherapy degree. Um And then from there, I worked in clinical practice for about two or three years, but I really missed the coaching side of things. I really missed, um, you know, training people and working more sort of in the performance realm, more so than the rehab realm. Um, So then 2017, I think it was, I started working at uh, Base Gym in Sydney, which is a strength training facility, and they have a female component of their two gyms. And so there I was able to do both, basically. So I was able to do manual therapy um, 
if I needed to, but also um, work in more of the exercise rehab realm as well as um, like the strength training performance-based realm. So from there, I um, I left and started doing some seminars, traveling um, to various countries and cities all around the world. And when COVID hit uh, early 2020, I had to make the switch online. So that's how AWPT was developed. And um, yeah, we've been doing that for about a year now. Yeah, just over a year. Um, And it's going well. I absolutely love it. And um, yeah, it all kind of just worked out. Yeah. I want to jump kind of right into the AWPT. And you know, right off the bat, you kind of distinguish the difference between like sex characteristics between like male and female. And why is that important in training? And like, why is that something somebody should consider when they're getting ready to start a training program? Yeah, so there are a number of considerations that we need to make um, between men and women when it comes to training, just because of our different anatomy, our different physiology. Um, And these differences are basically, you know, down to or due to the reproductive roles between men and women. Um, So women are responsible for gestation and reproduction, uh, meaning that we you know, we have a different structure, a different structure to be able to grow a baby uh, inside of us. And this is going to affect, you know, exercise selection, exercise execution because of our different biomechanics, because of our different skeletal structure. And, um, and also, you know, considerations around the menstrual cycle. So the menstrual cycle is obviously something that women experience, you know, throughout the month, different uh, fluctuations and different hormones, whereas men will have sort of like, you know, a change that they're sort of more on a 24-hour clock as opposed to like a monthly clock in terms of fluctuating hormones. Um, so there's tend to be a little bit more stable, whereas women do have this um, – you know, this fluctuating estrogen, progesterone at different times of the month, um, depending if she has like that normal or that um, that normal natural menstrual cycle. Um, and so, yeah, basically this is going to affect, you know, her energy levels at different times of, of the month, you know, her strength level, her ability to recover. And there are all sort of considerations that, um, you know, are, I guess, not really – well-known or widely well-known, but I think nowadays there is more research coming out in terms of this, uh, these types of stuff. And uh, yeah, we, we just, um, we just need to be educated more so as trainers to know how we can best help our clients uh, in terms of their exercise selection and their exercise programming, you know, to minimize risk of injury and also maximize their performance. Uh, that was that was a lot. And I feel like that was <laughs> exactly what we're looking for. Um, I've seen people um, say things that I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. Um, it could be oversimplified, but it's kind of like women should train lower body three days a week and um, upper body two days a week. And they're like, and males should switch and do the opposite um, or something to that effect. Do you think that what we should consider is more what 
the client's unique goals are? Or do you think that the balance needs to be something like, well, women have, a, you know, more of their, you know, larger structure with their legs and hips. And whereas men tend to be maybe a little bit wider through the top, how would you kind of look at that? And um, are people just kind of oversimplifying or? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So I personally think um, it is down to the client's goals. So, you know, generally um, when we're looking at say different genders or different gender roles or different gender expressions, you know, women do tend to want to build their lower body more so than their upper body, right? Just um, it's, I guess, more so that that fe those feminine characteristics that they are looking to say, let's say enhance. Um, whereas again, men, tend to or males tend to want to build their upper body, um, you know, due to, um, you know, their gender, gender expression. But also, you know, there are physiological differences where uh, men do have greater androgen receptors on their upper body. Um, and so, therefore, they're able to build muscle a lot more easily on their upper body, whereas, you know, women do tend to be able to recover a lot better from higher volume, higher intensity, especially of the lower body. And so that's why we might see this split of women training more lower body, men training more upper body. Um, however, I think, you know, it shouldn't be assumed what that client's goals is based on their gender. So there are, you know, a lot of women who might want to build their upper body strength, um, you know, Perhaps they are a powerlifter and their their sport is powerlifting, or they just want to be really strong on their upper body. They they like the look of a defined upper body. There might be a number of reasons why you know a woman may want to build her upper body, and and also you know guys probably do want to build their lower body as well. Um, so yeah, I think it should be down to the client's goals and what they are looking to do because. You know, if if her goal is strength or building muscle in the upper body, she's going to need to train upper body a lot more um, because she doesn't have naturally as many androgen receptors in her upper body to build her upper body. So, you know, if if strength is the goal, you know, higher frequency strength training of the upper body, you know, again, hypertrophy, same thing, higher frequency of the upper body. I just think it's kind of assumed that women or females want to build their lower body more and males want to build their upper body more. Um, but, you know, 2021, we can't really assume, you know, what the client's goals are based on their, based on their sex. So, yeah, I think it does come down to like what the actual goals are and listening to your client is the most important thing you can do as a coach. I feel like um, that's probably one thing that, that gets, I mean, it seems like it should be like the number one job, but a lot of um, coaches end up just being like really good programmers and not, not as in tune on the listening side of things. So um, mm. they have a way of doing it. And then that's kind of the way that they just do it for everyone versus um, individualizing um, from client to client. Um, Cause I'd imagine that you've seen a lot of, you know, mostly parallels between the training between men and women. It's the unique differences that you're kind of programming for 
and not necessarily, oh, it's a woman, we're going to train higher reps. And it's a, a man, we're going to train lower reps or something like that. That being said, there are, there are similarities between the training. Um, what would you say are some things that uh, some people would typically you know, define as this is the way that you would approach things for men's training? And um, maybe that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, play a role in women's training. Is Does that exist? Is there a thing that men tend to do that women should not do? Um, or is that just kind of like an idea that's somewhere out in the universe out there? Yeah, like we don't need to reinvent the wheel in terms of training between men and women. Like we're both the same species. We're all human beings. And so a lot of the same principles do apply. Uh, What we teach in the AWPT course is more so the considerations that you can make, um, you know, depending on, you know, more so I say like the client's goals, but also, you know, there are going to be those physiological differences um, in terms of the menstrual cycle, in terms of like physiology and structure and things like that. So, yeah, I think your basic training principles still apply between men and women and it is going to be really goal specific as well. Um, Some considerations that we can see, um, you know, if we're talking about like the split before, we tend to see that, um, you know, men might do better off like a body part split. So more of like, you know, that typical like bro split where they might be hitting one muscle group once a week, um, whereas females might tend to do more of like a upper lower split. And that's basically because we do have a better ability to recover. Um, This is because of estrogen's role, like our higher estrogen levels, Um, but also because we're lifting absolute weights that will be a lot lower than men. So especially in the upper body, um, you know, our absolute strength is going to be a lot – a lot less than males, you know, due to muscle mass um, and strength and things like that. So when we're looking at programming, you know, I sort of see that, you know, women can do better off higher volume, higher intensity um, and higher frequency just because of the ability to recover better, um, whereas men might take a little bit more time to recover. So, you know, they might hit legs you know, once or twice a week because they need that time to recover because they are, you know, lifting, you know, in um, in absolute terms, like heavier loads. So that does take, you know, more time to recover from. Um, some other things that we take into consideration is just, again, it's going to be really sort of goal dependent and goal specific as well. So when we are talking strength training, um, you know, we see women being able to lift those heavier loads or like those relative, relatively heavier loads for a higher number of repetitions. So, you know, if, if it was a strength training block for a male, he might only be able to hit, say, um, let's say like 90% of his one rep max for like two reps, where she might be able to do three, four or five reps. Um, so in terms of programming, those are some of the things that we can look at, um, as well as like the recovery times as well. And then when it comes to more sort of hypertrophy style training, 
you know, um, again, you know, women might do might do well off higher reps as well, but it's it is going to be really goal dependent and also client dependent as well because if they are more of an advanced client, then they might uh, do better off you know different styles of training as well. They might, you know, we say that lower rep is strength training and higher rep is more hypertrophy training, but, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, but it does depend on the level of the client. Because if the client is, say, quite new to, to like lifting, if they're doing strength training, they might not actually be, you know, if they're not failing in a good position, they're failing due to technique, they're probably not stimulating that much strength or that much hypertrophy they're still just learning the skill. Um, and so, you know, someone who's an advanced lifter, if they are, um, you know, doing strength training, they're failing in a good position, you know, they can definitely still build muscle and still, you know, gain some hypertrophy as well. So they're not mutually exclusive, but again, it is really like client dependent as well as, um, you know, goal dependent. So the, like exactly what you said before with, um, you know, it is, it's like the the science of programming versus the art of coaching. And so, you know, really listening to your client, taking into consideration some of your client's goals, because, you know, when we talk about the different physiology and say like, you know, programming around the menstrual cycle, like every woman is going to be different. So, you know, we don't necessarily need to throw out those basic training principles, um, but there are considerations that we can make. And so it's just about talking to your client and sort of knowing your client because, again, and I know I'm going on a little bit of a ramble here, but, um, you know, we no system exists in isolation either. So, you know, we can sort of take into consideration the menstrual cycle and programming, but, you know, there are also other lifestyle factors that can come into play as well. So, for example, the nervous system, you know, we might say that we might blame, you know, the feeling of not feeling good that week um, and, you know, a lift's not being as strong. We can maybe blame that on the hormones. But what else has happened in their life? You know, did they sleep shit? Are they stressed? Like, how's their nervous system? How's their recovery? So, again, it's it's, yeah, all sort of like these considerations that we can make when we are looking at programming. Um, but there are a couple more, I guess, that we can look at when it comes to to women. You know, we're very complex beings and there's a lot of sort of going on. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of how I look at that. Okay. Um, you, you brought up, you mentioned training around the menstrual cycle. And I kind of wanted to throw this out there just kind of as a, a thought. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this before, or if this is something that you've always considered, if you've always considered training around the menstrual cycle. Um, but have you, are there actual real world takeaways from somebody who's paying attention to a woman's uh, menstrual cycle and how they're programming versus somebody who's kind of like, this is how the program runs and what would be the differences between the two? Yeah. So uh, the way that I look at it is I don't necessarily program around the menstrual cycle. I just sort of like make those considerations. Like I say, like I will check in with my client and sort of see 
where they are in their cycle. Like it's, it's a question that I ask them in their check-ins, like what, what day are you at? Um, because it might give me, it just gives me more information. So, you know, for example, you know, when we're menstruating or when we're bleeding, um, usually we're sort of coming down off those those um, those PMS symptoms that we might experience leading up to our period. So, you know, a couple of days into her cycle, she might start feeling better. Historically, it was kind of thought that while you are bleeding, it's not a good time to be training, whereas like it can actually be quite beneficial because our hormones are actually the most stable that they are throughout the entire cycle. They're, they're all sort of, um, you know, quite low, but quite stable. Whereas, you know, once we sort of um, stop bleeding, then we're going to see like a rise in estrogen and that's going to, or it tends to, uh, in most women, we see a rise in energy, right? Like as she becomes closer and closer to ovulation, we know that ovulation is like the main event of the menstrual cycle. That's when the egg is released. She's most fertile during this time. And so, you know, in terms of like physiology, she might be looking for a mate, she might have higher sex drive, so, you know, higher energy, things like that. Um, and, you know, during this time, like, you know, right before ovulation when those those hormones are peaking, you know, we usually say that this is when energy is highest and, you know, strength training might be a good idea because, um, you know, she might hit some heavy lifts and things like that. However, like I've had clients who say, I just feel really flat around ovulation. I feel watery, bloated. This might be, um, it could be because there is some sort of dysfunction there or it could be um, that's just how she experiences her cycle. So again, it's not like I program, but I'll ask my clients um, because I always like think about progressive overload as well. It's not just like, what you sort of feel like throughout the program. We want to keep progressively overloading, but if, you know, they didn't feel as strong um, one week, then, you know, we have, because I think it's just empowering to know, like, you know, for women to track their cycle and to know where they are and to sort of like kind of know what to expect you know, if they're not feeling that strong. But, you know, if they are feeling strong at times where uh, we sort of think, oh, maybe it's it's a good idea to um, pull it back a little bit, but she's feeling good, like why not go for it? Like why not play off that, if that kind of makes sense? So in terms of training, it's just, you know, if we know that, you know, if we're seeing, say, for example, like, around ovulation, you know, she's quite energetic, but say she doesn't look very stable. Like say we're doing a an unstable exercise like a barbell squat or something like that. Then what I would do is just, you know, I know she's energetic, she's feeling strong. I don't, I also know that during this time there's a high risk of injury um, because the ligaments become a little bit more lax when estrogen is high. So if she's not looking very stable on that squat, maybe I'm going to put her on something like a leg press where she's a lot more externally stabilized and she can push high output because she is high energy. And then as we sort of move into like the second part of the cycle, um, the luteal phase, you know, usually women tend to feel like a little bit less energetic. They start to, um, you know, some may experience PMS symptoms. It might be a time where we just pull back a little bit, like, you know, depending if the client is a new client or, 
they are quite new to training, maybe we just pull it back a little bit. If she's quite an advanced athlete, maybe we program a deload. Uh, if she knows that she just feels really flat um, during that phase. But again, you know, some women don't experience many PMS symptoms either. So, you know, if she is feeling good, it is quite a safe time for her to go hard um, because estrogen is low. It's, its effects are blocked by progesterone during this phase. So, um, you know, there is that decreased risk of injury. So, again, all just kind of considerations. There's no real like hard and fast rules for programming. When it comes to nutrition, um, there are considerations, again, that we can make um, because of some things that we know that occur with the hormones there. So during that first phase, that follicular phase, women do tend to be a little bit more insulin sensitive. So they are able to utilize carbs a lot better. So we may, you know, we can... Um, we can, you know, increase her carb ratio perhaps in her macronutrients. And again, this is probably for a client who's a little bit more advanced with their tracking and their nutrition because if we're sort of changing up ratios and things like that, you know, a new client, it's just hard to get them consistent with their nutrition in the first place. Um, so again, you know, really client dependent, but we do know, yeah, they do tend to be more insulin sensitive. Um, and so, they respond better to carbs. Maybe we up the carb ratio. You know, maybe we implement a deficit if she's looking to lose weight during this time because, you know, with those higher estrogen levels, higher sex drives, we do see an inverse relationship with um, with appetite as well. So it could be a good time to implement a diet. Whereas during that luteal phase, you know, during that sort of PMS phase, women do tend to have higher cravings and this is because our core body temperature increases. So, you know, through ovulation, once we've ovulated, our core body temperature increases. So we expend a little bit more energy, our metabolism increases and we do become a little bit more insulin resistant. So perhaps including a, a bit more fat in the diet during this phase uh, will help support the hormones, will help with cravings, um, and yeah, help with that, um, that insulin resistance and keeping those blood sugar levels a bit more stable. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what yeah, I have to say. There. That's good. That's good. Um, so it sounds like some of the advantages of training with the consideration of the menstrual cycle are probably one is greater client buy-in, um, because, you know, understanding why things aren't necessarily going the way that they feel they should go. Um, and then having a reason, um, for that, um, something aside from not sleeping well all the time. Um, and then on top of that, uh, it sounds like it will help keep your clients safer, um, because you're able to know when they will be more or less stable. Um, and then what to do with that energy when they are feeling less stable. So it sounds like those are kind of the keystones surrounding why um, it would be important to consider that um, in your training. Um, there was a lot of details that you went into and a lot of things that you could very specifically pinpoint um, for like whether it's macronutrient ratios or um, whether it's this would be a better time to start a diet and um, kind of like the psychological impact there. Um, so it sounds like this is something that everybody should be paying attention to. Do you think that it's 
um, widely accepted, or do you think that we're starting to go a bit more in that direction? Um, are you are you seeing as much um, of the male coaches as you wanted to see jump on board? Um, and how are how are things going that way? Yeah, definitely. And as well, like another thing that we could talk about, which I missed uh, before, is is you know tracking weight as well. So, like both you and I know that weight on the scale doesn't necessarily equate to whether like knowing whether it's fat or whether it's muscle or whether it's food or whether it's water as well. So at different times of the cycle, you know, we might see no progress occurring, but it might be at a time where she is holding on to a little bit more water. She's retaining a bit more water. Maybe she's feeling bloated um, because it's, you know, leading up to her period or something like that. So I think as well, that's really empowering for women to know that um, because I see it in my clients all the time, like they're like, oh, my weight didn't drop this week, but, you know, I'm leading up to my period and I know I hold on to a little bit more water and I'm feeling a bit bloated and things like that. And so they don't stress about that. Like they don't stress about that number on the scale as much. So that I think is really empowering as well. Um, I think it is, I absolutely like, you know, I said this to you before, I absolutely love when the male coaches jump onto the course and they want to learn more about this stuff as well. Um, because I think it, it helps them feel a bit more confident and comfortable like relating to their female clients because, you know, because you don't experience this personally, like you can gain that professional experience and sort of understand a little bit more what is going on with your female client, you know, and when to push her, when not to push her, you know, um, as well as I think the language and the way to, you know, relate to her as well. I think your female clients, like if you can, you know, relate to that and sort of, um, you know, empathize and understand what's going on at different times of the cycle and, and, you know, I guess get into her head a little bit and get into her world a little bit, then I think that's super, super invaluable because you're not just training a person, like, like you are training a person. You're not just training like another person like you're training an individual as well and building a relationship with your clients is one of the most important things I think you can do as a coach because you know training and programming and all those reps and sets but actually like building that client relationship is really really important um and is why basically like one person is going to come to you over another coach right they want to align with you and they want to um you know they want to you know, you with them, you know, whether it's in the gym three times a week or whether it's online, you're speaking to them most days or or once a week. It's like, you know, you want to get along with that person. You want to make sure that they're taking your best interests at heart as well. Um, so I would love to see more male coaches. We're still like, a, I guess, a female dominated, um, you know, uh, cohort. But, um, yeah, I'd love to see it. 50-50 and, you know, if not more male coaches jumping on because, you know, they don't have that that personal experience. Um, but it is like I think a male-dominated industry with coaches, but most of the, um, you know, the supply of clients is coming from females because, you know, guys tend to, you know, 
be a bit more independent when it comes to going to the gym and training in the gym and exercise and things like that. Whereas females might tend to be a little bit more uh, intimidated or unsure about the, what they're doing. So then therefore they're seeking help. Um, and because there is that higher demand of male coaches, you know, they're seeking help from the male coaches. So I think, yeah, it's really, really important um, for more guys to sort of understand this stuff and and know how they can better serve their female clients. I, I think um, one thing that even after, you know, taking the course and I feel like I feel pretty open to um, discussing menstrual cycles or um, you know, pregnancy or anything like that. Um, but, um, I think that maybe some coaches, um, maybe feel a little bit leery about applying some of this information because in order to apply it, they would have to receive some of that information, which means that they might have to ask, do you think that there's a way to best present that or best ask um for that sort of information without feel feeling like this person's really trying to pry personally or i'm kind of gauge um kind of that interaction yeah i mean one thing that you could implement like if you have an onboarding form or like a, a new client intake form just have it as a question um on the form if it is more sort of face-to-face -face in person, um, you know, I would just sort of go about it and say, you know, for me to better understand you and to better understand um, your unique needs and your unique um, physiology and health um, and how I can better serve you, um, I just need to ask you a personal question. If you don't feel comfortable answering it, then that's totally fine. It just It just helps me a little bit more. Um, to better serve you um, and then just sort of say, you know, do you, do you track your cycle? Do you have a regular menstrual cycle? Um, and yeah, and just sort of, you know, you could, you could give them a little bit of information as to why you're asking that as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's just practice and, um, you know, building confidence. Most women I think will be quite open to speaking about it, um, in my experience. Um, but a, again, like gauging your client and, you know, if you don't feel that they are comfortable sharing that with you, you know, you can always as well just start to notice patterns as you go through their training. So, you know, over a couple of months, you know, you'll start to see patterns and, you know, just ask them how they feel. How are you feeling today? Um, you know, and see if they even bring it up. You know, they might bring it up. They may be like, oh, I feel crap today. Like my period's coming up or something like that. And then you can go, oh, do you mind if I ask you a question about that? Do you have a regular cycle or something like that? So, yeah, you can just start to notice patterns and then note them down. Um, and then, you know, as you build a relationship with your client, they feel more comfortable with you. You feel more comfortable with them. Um, then that, that helps as well. And so I think... Yeah, practice is going to be like just one of the biggest things. You know, for me, like I, you know, on the course, I'm just like, you know, throwing out like all these different words like penis, vagina, like all these things. And it's just, it's just normal now. Like it's just, it's the anatomical terms for it. And it, it is a normal human bodily function. And I guess, you know, previously it has been taboo. So we do feel a little bit like, oh, do we talk about that? 
Um, but I think, yeah, these days it is becoming like the conversation is opening up and we are able to speak more freely about it. Now, if you're a female client and you're listening to this podcast and you're working with a male coach and you want to present that information, um, being that it's valuable for them to understand, but you don't necessarily want to feel like you're overstepping that coach's boundary or oversharing, or mm-hmm. you're not sure what your relationship is that way. Um, how would you encourage going about trying to disclose that information? Um, that's a good question. I've never really thought of it um, from that perspective, but I would probably just say, maybe just ask them like, hey, do you have much experience or do you know much about training around the menstrual cycle? Or like, um, you know, they might even, you could even just like make a passing comment and sort of see how it's received just for that, oh, I got my period today or like, um, yeah, or I'm feeling good today because I know I ovulated or something like that and see how they pick up on it as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think, um, yeah, just asking them, is it okay? Yeah, is it okay if I share something with you or share something personal with you, which I think, you know, may help you may help me in terms of, you know, the best approach to my training and nutrition this week or or this next block or whatever it sort of is. I think that that's a, a really great way to approach that or present that. And I don't feel like that would necessarily feel like you just dropped it on them, even like, mm. even though they should roughly be okay with that, everybody's different. And so, yeah. um, I, but I do feel that the way that you presented that does make it seem like, Hey, like if you're really interested in having me perform well, this information might be valuable to you. And so, uh, I really like the way that you presented that. Um, I know that, you know, but maybe not everybody knows, uh, that my wife and I are expecting. She's entering her third trimester now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> she's entering her third trimester now. And um, there's been a lot throughout this pregnancy. There's been a lot of, oh, maybe you shouldn't train. Or, oh, maybe you just need to relax right now. And um, and then there's the, the polar opposite. You see people online um, crossfitting you know, jumping on boxes, still lifting heavy weight. What do you think is the safe thing to do? And um, who who kind of makes the call there? Is it, is yeah. it the pregnant woman? Is it the, the people surrounding them? Is it what they see other people doing? Mm, look, I think each woman is going to know her body best and she's going to know what feels right and what doesn't for her. Um, You know, there are some, you know, we do have research now. We don't have a lot. We do have more research coming out in terms of exercise during pregnancy. And we know that in most pregnancies for healthy women, it is safe and even beneficial for them to be exercising. Um, You know, I would just look at um, you know, the biggest things, the biggest considerations are going to be, um, you know, looking at how much pressure they're putting on the pelvic floor when they do get into their third trimester. So from about like, you know, mid second trimester to third trimester, 
just how much, you know, the pelvic floor does stretch quite a lot and it does need to stretch to allow, um, you know, for that baby to be, you know, placed on it and to hold the baby as well. So it is under a lot of stress already, like as the belly expands and as the uterus expands and as, you know, she's putting on more weight and the weight of the baby and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it is, you know, I definitely recommend and I know women who do train right up until, um, you know, the week or even the day before they give birth. Um, but, you know, I would definitely be starting to, you know, regress it as you sort of get sort of that mid-second trimester, third trimester, just because of that pressure that is placed on the pelvic floor. Um, but in saying that, the benefits of exercise are going to far outweigh the risks, and that is, you know, in healthy pregnancy. So first and foremost is going to be working closely with a medical professional, um, so making sure that, you know, they are being monitored by the doctor. In saying that as well, like some doctors are a little bit old school and and they do they do go a little bit more on the conservative side of things as well. So, you know, finding, I think, that that happy medium and that ha- like it's obviously not a time to start breaking records and um you know going ham but uh you know maintaining the guidelines sort of say like you know 30 ish minutes um a day as a minimum um moderate intensity exercise you know on most days so um yeah i would sort of you know leave it up to the woman she's going to know you know, it's, it's, it is going to be dependent on, you know, her previous level of exercise and her previous activity level before she got pregnant as well. Um, but even women who haven't been uh, physically active and they get pregnant, we know that there are going to be benefits in terms of things like minimizing the risk of gestational diabetes, you know, maintaining physical fitness, um, maintaining health, maintaining good mental health as well. Like exercise can just help with all those types of things. So yeah, there is a lot of noise and you do see, yeah, like some people going super hard um, while they're pregnant and then some being sort of really, really conservative. You know, she's going to feel if there's something wrong or or if there's something not right. Um, You know, women do tend to be a lot more intuitive. So yeah, I think you know, we know that if she's being cleared for exercise, it is safe, um, but also making sure that, you know, she's listening to her body and, you know, taking it easy when she needs to take it easy um, and, you know, maintaining as much sort of strength as she can throughout those 10 months because, you know, childbirth, I haven't been through it, but it's going to be hard work um, and you need to have, you know, that that base level of fitness as well to be to be able to go through that. Right. And I think um, the thought on a lot of pregnant women's mind, um, at least ones that have been physically active before, and I'm sure that it, it pops up for those that haven't, is how do I, you know, if I do want to get back into training after this, how do I go about doing this safely? Some things don't feel the same. Um, mm. My body feels different. It doesn't necessarily feel safe in this position. Um, how do I go about making sure that I am safe and that I don't hurt myself and things feel weird, you know, so how do, how does that work? Yeah. So I would, you know, if, if you're unsure, like 
go to a professional, go to a um, pre-postnatal coach, like certified coach, um, and and have some supervision in terms of you know there are going to be changes in the biomechanics um, post-pregnancy. Like some, for example, like you know we see changes in the hip structure, we see changes in the rib structure um, that don't necessarily come back to pre-pregnancy levels. So, um, you know, taking it slow, taking it easy is one of the biggest things. Like it does take time. Like we've gone through massive anatomical changes during those 10 months and it does take time for that to come back down um, if it does come all the way back. So, you know, some things that we need to take into consideration is like obviously whether she's had a vaginal birth or a cesarean section and making sure the rehab around pelvic floor or scar healing is, um, you know, is adequate before we get back into training. So there is going to be a period of time around six weeks might be longer for a lot of women where, you know, light walking might be all she sort of does um, and no real um, you know, structured exercise training, you know, working on the rehab surrounding um, the scar healing and, and surrounding, you know, the pelvic floor. You know, if there's any been any trauma to the pelvic floor um, or any tearing or things like that, it needs time to heal. Um, and then, yeah, getting back into training, making sure that you know, before you start working with her, she has had that assessment to be cleared to exercise again. So one thing that I find a lot of women tell me is that uh, they went back to their doctor, maybe it was a GP or something like that, and they didn't do an internal examination. Um, And I think that's really important as well to make sure that the pelvic floor is functioning um, correctly and she's able to actually do a proper pelvic floor contraction um, and as well as as taking into consideration any abdominal separation as well. So those are like the two biggest considerations when getting back into training. You know, maybe not lifting too heavy for the first, like even up to 12 months um, because, you know, heavy lifting can, um, you know, have an effect on that abdominal separation coming back together. It also might place a lot of downward uh, pressure or bearing down on the pelvic floor. Um, whereas, you know, we don't want to see those um, being sort of like long-term things that down the track are going to cause issues such as bladder leakage or um, that ab separation, you know, seeing that doming or that sagging um, in that, like in the, the section of their abs that's separated. So, um, you know, taking it slow, taking it gentle, making sure that they're doing the rehab is going to be first and foremost the most important thing, which, you know, is going to take time. And then just gradually getting back into, you know, maybe some body weight exercises to start, making sure she's able to stabilize, um, making sure she able she's able to, um, you know, brace her core and things like that. Um, and then, you know, only starting to load you know, as she is feeling comfortable in those positions and, you know, something as well that might aggravate or flare something up or not feel right is like a lot of unilateral work to start with as well. So like lunges or split squats, you know, if she did have some pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy, 
that can kind of rear its head again as you sort of get back into training and as well with weaning off breastfeeding as well, just with what the hormones are doing. Um, those are sort of some times where we might see, you know, that pelvic girdle pain flare up a lot. So starting with more stable exercises, you know, bilateral exercises, um, you know, body weight exercises might be the way to go and then gradually progressing from there. So there's no rush to sort of get back um, because, you know, it does take time um, and it might take even sort of up to 12 months to sort of be getting back to, you know, those strength levels that you might have been at before you got pregnant. That was definitely a lot of useful information. Um, I definitely think it's really practical, um, both in terms of who you should seek out and when you are talking to your doctor, some things that you should be kind of keeping your eye out on. Um, and then things to look for, even when you're getting back into training. So I think that that was great. Um, and as much as you are an expert on these subjects that we've talked about so far, I feel like I would be doing our listeners a disservice if I didn't expose them to kind of just your general positive outlook and, you know, how resilient you are as a human being. Um, I was, I was wondering <laughs> if you'd be willing, like if, if you have any practices to kind of keep up that outlook. Um, I know you talked about, you know, uh, mental health during the podcast. Um, that plays a huge role in training. Um, just the outlook, that general outlook on training being generally more positive is going to lead to more positive outcomes. So how have you been able to cultivate that in yourself? Do you feel like it was something that came natural to you? Um, and um, if not, you know, what things are you doing now to kind of keep that going? Yeah, um, that's a really interesting question. So I think if I dive deep into it, yeah, maybe it is something that I have kind of, I don't know whether it's like nature versus nurture. Like I think it was sort of instilled in me to be quite positive from a young age. Not that, and I think as well as I've grown, like not to be like, uh, I guess that toxic positivity when it's like you're feeling like shit that you're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm great kind of thing. I think, you know, maybe previously I have done that. Whereas, you know, as I've sort of gotten older, like I've realized it is okay to say when you're not okay. Um, and, you know, life doesn't always go the way you planned. Um, and there, there are going to be times or phases when you might not feel great as well. Like you know, if, if I relate it back to um, pregnancy, like when there's this big crash of hormones at childbirth, like women can experience uh, that postnatal depression and those like baby blues and things like that. And, you know, there have been times of my life where, you know, I've gone through something hard and I've had to, um, you know, get through it. And, you know, the practices that I kind of implement, like I implement them even when I'm feeling good, not just when I'm feeling bad. So, you know, a non-negotiable for me is, um, you know, is training, like training and being active. Like I know that if I don't, I feel like shit. So, you know, having that regular, um, regular training schedule, um, it's lucky for me that I love it and I've been doing it for so long and I've been doing it, you know, since I was really young. Um, whereas for some people, I know that might be a lot more difficult. Um, but I think, 
you know, sometimes just showing up and also knowing when it's okay not to show up as well, I think is really important. Um, you know, I like to, I like to journal a lot. I like to meditate. Um, sometimes my training is my meditation as well. Like if I, you know, I'm not always the best at doing it every single day, but I try to, I'm going to, I try to do it first thing. Cause I know that that's going to be the first thing that kind of like, I don't do if, if my day gets busy or something like that. Um, you know, I love, I love going for a walk. I love getting by the ocean, getting in the sun, um, you know, just doing some grounding activities, whether it's like taking your shoes off and going for a walk in nature or something like that. For me, those are, are my go-to things. Um, and yeah, just surrounding yourself with good people, I think is really important. Having good social relationships um, and maintaining positive relationships, having, having a purpose, I think, I think is one of the biggest things as well. Like having a purpose in your life and, and a mission that you're sort of working towards every single day, um, you know, and putting a lot of energy into that is one of the biggest things um, that can, you know, give your life purpose and meaning and um, yeah, just sort of have that general, general outlook. And, you know, I know that, things aren't always going to be great, but I try and look for the lesson in everything. Like if something's not going the way that I want it to, I'm like, what, what is this trying to teach me? And what I, what do I need to learn from this to grow? I think if you're always growing, um, then yeah, that's something that, that can help you maintain like that positive outlook on life. I do. I do like, um, two things you said. Um, one was that you're just not like this a toxic positive, like, uh, it, it's not toxic positivity. Um, so it's not positivity in the face of all things at all times, but also kind of understanding that there is growth in this situation and I can move forward that way. Um, so, um, I definitely really appreciate having you on and you answering all these questions. Um, for those of my listeners that want to learn more about you, hear more from you, um, where are some of the best places to hear from you and learn more from you? Yeah, so um, probably the best place is Instagram. So my handle is at Kayla Lee Physio. Um, we also have a website with all our courses on it, which is um, awptuniversity.com. So that is um, stands for Applied Women's Physiology and Training, which is the name of the eight-week course that we run as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for being on. I appreciate all your time. And I hope to have you on again sometime in the future. Thanks so much for having me. I loved answering the questions. There was definitely some, uh, some good ones in there. It made me think. <laughs>